listening to It's All About Perspective with your hosts, Abigail Peterson from Kindergarten Chaos and Principal Robert Hinchliffe. Join us as we discuss education from various points of view. Take the challenge of listening to see if your opinion changes. But no matter where you stand on the issues, remember, it's all about perspective. Welcome to episode number six of It's All About Perspective. I'm Abigail Peterson, and I'm one of your hosts. We have a very special guest today, but first, my co-host. I am Robert Hinchliffe, and Abby, you're right. We do have a very special guest, and she's someone that we um, knew we wanted to have on the podcast, and, and really a person that I feel like can definitely speak to many, many of the topics that we have talked about. Her name is Sarah DeLui, uh, also known as Creative School Days on Instagram. So follow her if you like that. She has a, many great ideas and she's uh, very passionate about education and she has helped many, many people do better things for kids. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much yes, for being welcome, here. Sarah. Thank Yay. you for having me. Yay. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Listen to all the episodes so far. We appreciate we your and girl experience. Yes, yeah. yes. We appreciate you listening to us and supporting us. Sarah is also the designer of our logo. She is amazing with uh, graphics. She has done the graphics in our school, um, and that's why it looks so great. We call it Serify. She has serified our school because she, uh, she's really good at what she does. But I've wanted to ask her this question for a long time, and I knew this is the question I was going to ask her when she came on. So when you originally transferred to our old school, yeah. Not long after you came there, you sent me a gift through school mail. What was the gift? Why did you do it? And how can people <laughs> learn from that? Okay, so when you hired me, when I was hired, it wasn't when I was officially at Smith. I was still at my old school. But I sent you the book, Garrity Squirrel. <laughs> Um, mostly because I just feel like that is a book that, I, that always resonated with me because I am a little bit of that scaredy squirrel. I like to be comfortable and I like my little comfort zone. And so for me, leaving schools was a big leap of faith, like scaredy squirrel has to do in the book. And it was just kind of like a little, thank you, read this with your kids kind of gesture. <laughs> and so taking that and you being a scaredy squirrel, one of our yeah. topics in the past was, is it time for a relocation or retirement mm. or a change of venue? So I thought it would be important for people to hear kind of your journey in changing schools and what that has done for you. I mean, I feel like changing schools in this profession is honestly like completely relocating your whole life. It's like Packing up your home and moving to a different city with nobody that you know, because the classroom really is like an entire home and mm -hmm. the people that you work with really are like your family. And so even though I was just at that school for two years, it felt like a really big change for me. And ultimately, I knew I needed the change because I was so unhappy there. But part of me, because that's all I knew, part of me thought this is just what education is. Like, this is just what teaching is. And part of me just wanted to just suck it up and be there. Part of me wanted to leave the professional together. But my good friend, 
interviewed over at Smith and she told me how amazing you guys were. And so then I was like, okay, I'll try. And it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it could, I feel like changing your site and changing your location can be a good thing. And I encourage everyone to do it a few times in their career. Right. And so to at least think about it. And I think it's important because one thing you've always kind of said was, you know, you had thought about quitting the profession. Oh, yes. And and that really resonates with me because now getting the opportunity to watch your journey, which hopefully we'll walk through in the next half an hour or so, of starting out as this person who is about to quit and then seeing where you are at now is really quite a transformation over the years. And I've just been lucky enough to watch it. And one thing I want to tell you both is, um, you know, I was blessed because you were both at the same school. And when you when you look at each of your career paths and what you have done, you've taken different paths. But I was blessed because I had two of the most, I don't know, famous is the right word, but you guys are very high up in the educational world. I mean, Sarah, you're in terms of education, you have a lot of followers. And Sarah, you're very tied in to get your teach on. Abby, you're very tied in to teach your heart out. Um, and, you know, I was blessed to have both of you at the same school, but but you didn't start out as the closest of colleagues. And so it's not because of anything either you did. You just kind of have different ways about you. Maybe if you guys could talk about just being colleagues with someone and you were both in kindergarten mm-hmm. when you got to Smith and how your journey has kind of taken you from where you were kind of feeling each other out when you got there to now you're both you're both very established. Sarah, I'll let you go since you're our guest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, I mean, now, how many years later is it? Like my perspective, oh gosh, I use the word. <laughs> like, am I going to use the word perspective? Yay. I think yes, my please. perspective really has kind of shifted and changed. I think as I've grown as a person, as a colleague, as an educator, but first going to Smith, I, I mean, walking into that situation was not necessarily ideal for any teacher where the grade level was already completely split where there kind of was already a great deal of tension and then I came in kind of to balance the grade level and I mean it is true true. it's true that's true and I came in to kind of balance the grade level and it was tough it was really tough because I felt like I was there to support one person and then I couldn't like it it was just a weird it was a weird dynamic which I think led to a weird relationship. I agree and I agree it was it had it had kind of it started off on a bad foot. It started off on a bad foot before you even stepped foot on campus. And so we all kind of jokingly say I'm an Enneagram 8. So (laughs) I am very strong. My personality is really strong. I don't, I, I watch my words, but I can't really say I, I still will speak up. And sometimes that's hard when you're a direct Mm -hmm. person. And so for somebody 
like you, Sarah, who came in and knowing that you were already nervous about coming to a new school and leaving. Mm -hmm. And at that time, if I remember correctly, Declan, your son was only, he was still a baby pretty much. He was so little, yeah. And your daughter was coming into kindergarten. So you had a lot of life changes. It wasn't just school changes. It was life changes. And Mm -hmm. so coming into, coming into our school. And so I just remember it was, it, it kind of felt like it was like two against two. And that was kind of how I felt the dynamics were. And I, I will continually try as a, I do this now. I did this back then. I will try to like make, you know, put forth the olive branch kind of, I remember being out on the playground and there were two over here and then there was two over here. And I felt like I kind of was in the middle because I'd have to go back and forth and say, Hey, we're planning on doing this. And then I'd have to go back. And, and I just hate, I personally hated it because it was not, it was, there was no unity at all. There was no unity. And it felt anytime we had we would try to have a conversation. It was never productive. Some people wouldn't talk. And I am one of those people that I don't like silence. You guys know that. You guys have been in grade level or you've been in meetings with me. I hate mm-hmm. awkward silence. <laughs> and so when people just sit there and look at each other without like owl, owls in a tree, that drives me crazy. And then I feel like I need to speak. And sometimes I don't have the right words. And I might say something that's not, a pro- not that's not appropriate, but maybe is not the best use of <laughs> my time and my energy. It was a very challenging few years. Right, right. It was. And so, you know, from, from my perspective, of course, I have I have four great teachers in a grade level, and I think you all taught me that grade level taught me um, a lesson that you can put four great people in a grade level; they're not going to get along. Mm-hmm. They might not get along, and so how do you manage that? That was very difficult because it was two versus two, and I think it just set up like that because of honestly because of age differences mm-hmm. and life experiences and things like that. It wasn't that any of you were bad people. It just was the way it worked out with clicks and with where you're at in your lives. And I know there are many grade levels across Clark County in the country that are set up like that. So I'm curious if you two, because you did grow to respect each other as educators, can kind of speak to how how people can learn from what you went through and maybe not have situations come up or be able to mend fences, if that's the right word, or or respect each other in terms of being colleagues? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I (laughs) literally don't know. I think that it's just, it's such a hard thing when you are supposed to be working so closely with people that are so different from you that you didn't choose to be around. And you're supposed to be like, collaborating on lessons and like, when I mean, I, I remember at that time in kindergarten, I felt like, I mean, Abby, your half, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it without calling people out, but I felt like your half had different priorities than the half that I was on. And when, I mean, at that time, nobody was necessarily right or wrong. It was just where our priorities lied with our students in our classrooms. So when lessons are planned and we're planning long range stuff, it doesn't match. And you can't make that match and you can't make that mend. And no matter what lesson I bring up or activities that I share, it's not because viewpoints are different. And 
I mean, it's, it is, it is what it is. I wish at that time I would have been wiser and just been like, you know what? They're amazing the way that they are. Like it might not be my thing, but that doesn't mean it's any less than what I'm doing because I've had to learn that. Like I'm not always (laughs) the best and everybody's, everybody's way is just as valid and right as mine. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like if I had had that viewpoint back then, things might've been a little bit different as far as our relationship went, but I don't know. I just, it's hard. It's a really hard thing. Well, and I think one thing, Robert, you were, you were actually fairly new to being a principal. I think it was maybe your second year as an actual principal. And so I think just as Sarah and I learned, you know, some things through, through, through our experience, you did as well. Cause I remember you tried to kind of make us sit down and have like, a, you know, a get around the table and have yeah. a powwow and it didn't really work out. And I remember you saying later that, okay, trying to force people to talk out their problems is not always the best. And you ended up moving people to different grade levels and it ended up kind of leveling out some. And so then Sarah moved to first grade. She was still in the same classroom. So she was, you know, two, two doors down for me. So, and once she moved to first grade, it kind of brought a little bit of, cut a lot of the tension. We had some new people that we brought in. So it kind of cut the tension. And then I just think over time, if there was ever opportunities that we had for me, one of the one of the better experiences with you, Sarah, was when we went to Lake Tahoe and we presented. And I think sometimes when you let down your guard a little bit and you really you allow people to kind of see who the real Sarah is, I think that was helpful to me because you're a very guarded person. Yeah. And so I'm an Enneagram six. <laughs> like, I just feel like that's like we're like complete opposites in that way. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it takes it takes a lot for me to like come out of my shell and feel comfortable. And I think a lot of the time people just think that I'm like mean and like I don't know, but I'm just I'm really just I'm very easily intimidated. I mean, to be honest. Yeah, which is which is interesting to me. So it's fascinating for me to sit and listen to this and going back because if we could, we definitely would change some things. But it kind of goes into what we talked about last week, where I as an admin cannot force two excellent teachers to follow a program or do the same things. So I don't know if Sarah would like to speak on that or not. But here we have two people who I have said are very, very uh, involved in education. And to try to make them follow a program or do the same thing two classrooms away simply will not work, in my opinion. I don't know if you want to speak on that. No, I mean, absolutely. Like, that's 100% the truth. (laughs) And I came from a school where, I mean, just listening to the podcast last week, like, I, I was at a school where I had to have my lesson plan on my desk if admin walked in for a surprise observation. And I was not here doing this lesson, then that was that resulted in, you know, a post conference that wasn't so great. And, and we were all expected to be on the same page, they wanted to go from my classroom to the kindergarten teachers classroom next door, and see that we were teaching the exact same thing. And I mean, yeah, like when you put great, I mean, big personalities are like me and Abby, 
who have, we're both really great, but we do things differently. And then kind of put us in one box and expect us to do the same thing. We're not going to be, we're not going to meet our full potential. Well, and another thing that I I was thinking of as you were speaking was when there's four in a grade level and you bring two people in that have been boxed in and now you're giving them the freedom it it's almost like a kid in a candy store like hey I want to try it all and so if yeah. you're somebody who's already been there and been doing you're kind of like wait slow your roll a little bit calm down you know I I don't know mm-hmm. it just I was just thinking about how our colleagues you know came from schools you came from school and our other colleague came from a school where it was very specific and it was very mm-hmm. you know structured and you had to follow it to a T and dot every i and so when you, when you, all of a sudden you have the freedom and the liberty to use what you want and supplement and try new things and you're encouraged to try new things. I think sometimes that that can be uncomfortable for some people. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give principals out there who have strong personalities with different viewpoints in the same grade level? Because some principals would just be like, sit down, knock it off, follow the script, do what you need to do. That doesn't work for either of you. So what principals listening or who may listen in the future, what would you two, what advice would you give them? I would say just let teachers do their thing. Like just they've got to just be able to like do their thing, whatever works for them in their classroom. And I think at minimum, if the grade level is not collaborating and they're not getting along like I feel at that point if it's working separately then that should be fine enough for everybody like I I don't think that we should try and force people and Robert I love you but you're the type you don't like to see animosity within grade levels and you try to like do not work your magic and make everyone be friends but the reality of it like some people are just not going to be friends like and I I think I've learned that over the past few yeah. years. It's just, especially with your grade level. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot with, with you guys, those few years. Yeah. Which is not a bad I mean, thing. It's not a bad thing at all. You know, and I, like I said, I think admin, you've got to be willing to learn from your people. You cannot squit a, fit a square peg into a round yeah. hole. You just can't. Mm-hmm. So be brave enough to admit that you were wrong and make a change. And, and it's a better change for the teachers also. Well, I think there's something called the serenity prayer. That's like, help me to change the things I can change, except the things I cannot change. Between the two. And that to me is always the key is that, that part right there. Mm -hmm. Know the difference between the two, because there's some things that you are just not going to change. And so understand and accept that you're not going to change it. And so, like Sarah said, if it's, if it's not broke, and your and your your students are happy and you're seeing successful data then i it's okay to leave it alone for instance when you offered sarah first grade she was willing to move to first grade our other colleague was willing to move to a different grade level mm-hmm. we had one that moved away so mm-hmm. i think if somebody's open but if sarah would have said no would it have been fine for her to stay in kindergarten yeah. Yes. But I, I, I have been, I mean, the year I was in the, I think it was just one year. Yeah. That I was in kindergarten. I mean, it was fine because I had, 
somebody to lean on and I had someone that could help support me. I have been like completely alone in a position and it sucks. And I feel like if I was to go into any grade level now, I would not be picking the grade level. Like I would not want to say I'm going to go to fourth grade. I would have to pick the team because like that for Mm -hmm. me is everything at this point. And so I feel like if your principal allowing people to kind of like find those personalities that they mesh with, because there is power in working with a team and having strong relationships with your teammates, because like magic really can happen when you have a bunch of people that respect and support each other. And it makes like my individual job as a teacher a lot easier when I have other people kind of lifting me up. So I just feel like if if you do have a grade level where there are some pr- big personalities that aren't mixing, maybe just offer like, hey, is there another grade level that you feel you would fit better in? And I feel like sometimes personality might trump content in in this case, like content knowledge. I think looking, yeah, I think looking at it now, I would definitely weigh out personalities much more than I would have in the past. Yeah. I would always think, oh, this person will get along with this person. But now having the knowledge and the wisdom, as we talked earlier, to know who gets along and who doesn't, I think that's more powerful. Because from the admin side, if you're, you can take the four strongest teachers you have and put them in a grade level. But if they are all different personalities, you're just setting them up for animosity and a difficult year. So unfortunately, yes, people will be professional when they close the door, they will teach. But if you want to get the most out of people, put them with people that they respect and that that push them to go to go at a higher level. Well, and that also makes you going back to a previous episode that also makes you want to stay. It makes you want to grow where you're at. If you're miserable and you're you're being forced to collaborate or you're being forced to talk out problems or you and and like Sarah said, if you're the the lone man and and you're unhappy. Of course, who wants to who wants to go the next school year? Yeah. Who wants to go? Who wants to continue to do mm-hmm. that? I, I certainly wouldn't. So right. but another thing, Sarah, that um, I've watched you over, especially over the last year and a half, and you've I know you've voiced this and put this out on your Instagram. So I feel liberty to say this. If if it's not okay, you can <laughs> you can catch me on the on the flip side. But you know, you also said have talked a lot about your mental health and about how you have went and has started having therapy. And I think that has also helped you to like learn to express your emotions and kind of maybe navigate with people. I don't know. I just have watched kind of the evolution of how that has really changed you. Absolutely. Like I am now like the biggest proponent of therapy. I initially went just because I was like, I was struggling in every single aspect of my life. Like every single relationship was on the rocks. I was unhappy at work. I, I, I felt like I, I just wanted to run away from my life like every part of my life. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't feel like this anymore. And so I thought I sought out therapy. And I mean, yeah, I feel like talking about my feelings has never been something that I have done. I just, I think just talking in general is not something that I do. 
Like I'm more of the observer and I just kind of internalize everything. And so I think just having the practice of just talking and just sharing, I mean, and I'm, I'm essentially paying this person to listen to me. So I don't have to feel that guilt. Like I'm wasting this person's time. And yeah, I think that's just really opened a whole new world up to me. Like, I feel like now I'm kind of thriving in a lot of areas that I definitely wasn't before. And I think also too, I, I've seen a couple of your of your Instagram stories where you've talked where you have talked about where you place your time. So knowing your boundaries and knowing you are somebody who can overextend yourself because you get asked to do a lot. And sometimes I even told Robert, I'm like, when he was telling me all the different things that you were doing at the school, I was like, man, I'm like, <laughs> you know, when does she have time to do other things? Because you seem to have your hands in a lot of, a lot of places. Yeah, I do. I have. And I mean, again, this is something I talk about in therapy, like every week. I have such a hard time saying no to things because I genuinely want to do them. Like, I feel like I really do find my worth in these projects and what I can contribute. Like, I love giving. And I feel like if I can give in some little tiny way, then I'm happy to do that. Um, but then I do spread myself way too thin. And then I like spiral and fall into a depression. And I have to pull myself out. And it's a whole big thing. But that kind of sparked when you guys were talking last week. <laughs> when we were talking last week, like, I feel like I was just hanging with you guys um, <laughs> about like the box, the can curriculum. And I, when I first met Robert, I was like, wait, I can teach whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to follow this program. No, like I was like a kid in the candy store. Like you said, Abby, like I was so excited to like do my craft and do my thing. But I also completely like that is not sustainable at all. And I don't think that any teacher should be expected to create lessons for every single standard because the burnout is real. And if I was to do that now, if I still had that mentality, like I would be working until six, seven o'clock every single night and I wouldn't be present in any other part of my life. And so I feel like Schools do need to have curriculum, but like you guys had said, like just as a resource, because sometimes I don't have the time to look at un unwrap the standards and make amazing lessons that engage my kids in all the ways that I ideally want to. And sometimes there's got to be weeks where I'm just follow. I'm I need something to help me keep myself afloat. Because if there's one thing that I've learned and seven, eight years, I don't know, however long I've been doing this is that if you keep trying to make all the things and do all the things, you're going to want to leave this profession. So one of the things Abby and I talk about a lot is like ROI, return on investment of time. Yes. I remember telling you, I walk in your room and you'd be like, your room is, a do these anchor charts really need to be this cute? Do the fonts yes. really need to be here? Is your return on investment really that it's like, is it that great for you? And you would say yes. But then the point was, is it was a return on investment time for you. And we discussed this, like, do the first graders really see your font or things like that? And 
And you talk about all these things like where you have to do them your way, which is great. But I think you've also learned what you talked about earlier. And I've told you this many times is they can't all be like you. No. And that was hard for you because you have such high expectations as Abby does for her colleagues to teach and teach well. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that's been fun to watch uh, really in both of you is to accept the fact that not everybody's like you and not everybody's going to do as good a job as you, you know, there used to be many times when people would be like, why can't you just go, you know, go in that room and, and talk to that person because you wanted them to be like you. And I think you've both learned that it just can't happen. Well, it it can't happen. I mean, what was the thing? Being awesome ain't easy. Like it's yeah. <laughs> I, it's not. No. Steve Gleason, awesome ain't easy. But I I don't know. I just feel like at this point in my life and my career, I empathize and now I just have grace for those people because I mean, this profession is hard. And I think just showing up Mm -hmm. every day is like enough round of applause, like good job. Like that's all we need because it is, it is hard. I think just for some people, we just got to give them a little bit more grace, which I have learned because I was, I was very, I was very judgmental of a lot of teachers and the way they ran their classroom. I appreciate you saying that. I was a hundred percent. Yes. But and that's what I was kind of leads me into what I was going to say is I think time and experience changes Mm us, changes us. And 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 so sometimes when the brand new teachers come into the building and they're like, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to have this and it's going to be amazing and I'm going to have a white carpet. And you're like, (laughs) not a good idea, probably white with kids. But they all there's an old saying you guys love my old sayings, but there's an old saying that says every generation has to touch the stove. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every generation has to touch the stove. And so every teacher is going to have to go through, I can conquer the world. I can do it all. I can be the end all be all on everything. And like you said, Sarah, there is a burnout rate. We talk about stamina and kids. Well, teachers have stamina too. And sometimes our stamina runs out after a while and we're like, okay, I'm getting burnt out. I'm not going to be able to maintain this. And I think it's, experience and time has a way of saying, okay, I can empathize with those teachers that I thought were losing it, or I thought weren't doing what they should have been doing. And now I understand. Absolutely. That's been probably within the last couple years, my eyes have really opened to that. And I am kind of ashamed at some of the things that I had said in the past, because I mean, when you are a teacher that pours everything into this job, like everything, weekends, nights, like in your sleep, you're thinking of lessons. When you see people just show up at contract time and follow a curriculum and leave at contract at the end of their contract time, you're just like, what the heck? These kids deserve better. They deserve someone who's like giving them essentially all of them, their soul. Like, and I finally am just like, mm-hmm. no, I had it so backwards and wrong. <laughs> but, but that's the great thing about it is that you have now recognized that. Yeah. That's, that's huge. It's finding that balance. 
I think sometimes when we first start out, we're on the on the way end of like, rah, rah, rah. And then you have the other end that's like, okay, I'm excited to be here. But <laughs> so somehow we got to find somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah. the middle to, to kind of balance it all out. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate, I appreciate your, yeah. your honesty though, Sarah, because it is, it, it is only time and experience that helps you to see those things. And I think just like having those open conversations and like, I, I've never heard somebody say that. I've never heard somebody say, oh, I was judgmental of teachers who followed a can curriculum or showed up at their contract hours. And like, that was just something, I don't know. I just feel like we just need to have those conversations more and be more real about this job. We do. But, but I think, I think that's what we, us three minimum expect is people to pour their hearts into it because we give so much in the yeah. areas that we run in areas we don't run in it is what it is but you know like Sarah you and I run in culture climate like that's our thing like I walk in your room and then I walk out and we got three other ideas for the school to make it better and then, then you know <laughs> we can't say no and then we're stuck in a project you know like Abby you walk in and we're running on with the podcast so we all run in the areas but it's hard to not judge people who are walkers yeah. in a lot of areas it just is because we want the best for our school. We want to be the school everybody talks about. And for some teachers who we've worked with in the past or who you know, that doesn't no. mean anything to them. It's a difference between yeah. a job yes, and a passion. But I will, I, will, I will stand up and say this, that it's very subjective. It's always subjective. And we titled this podcast, It's All About Perspective, because that's really what it is. It's your perspective on, you know, Sarah and myself being great teachers, because somebody else may look at us and say, eh, they're okay. They could be stronger in this area or this area. So I really think that it's so subjective because again, somebody can, can listen to this podcast and say, yeah, Robert's an okay principal, you know? (laughs) That's true. And, and there's a lot of people that think that, and that's their perspective and they're probably not wrong in some areas. You know, so I just, I think that ultimately we teach our kids, you know, stand up for yourself, believe in yourself, do what you want to do. But yet again, going back a couple conversations ago, we have a hard time doing that ourselves. You know, it shouldn't matter what some other teacher thinks if we decide to leave the school or we decide Mm to move a grade level or we decide to leave the profession altogether. It shouldn't it shouldn't matter if the teacher next door is upset because I printed everything on AstroBrights or if I stayed till six o'clock. But yet we do allow that to influence us and make us determine whether we're a good teacher or a not good teacher. Why do you think, why do you both think, I've, I've thought this many times, the profession, it's, it's not anything like sports profession or anything like that. Like sports teams, they're all in, they're all for each other. Why is the profession of teaching so competitive mentally? Well, <laughs> I think we all want to be the best. Ultimately. Do we all? I do, I do. I know you do. I I can't. I don't know. And I don't. I don't know. I think that 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 probably we if we're the classroom with the lowest test scores, and that's 
you know, printed for everyone to see, like it was at my other school, my old school, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was printed in the teacher's lounge. And it's just like, oh my gosh, for real, like this has to be broadcasted to everybody. Nobody wants that te- to be that teacher. But at the same time, and then we'll say that like, oh, the test scores don't really matter when we're low, but when we're high, it feels good. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you, you ride on that high. And mm-hmm. so I don't, I really don't think that any teacher goes into this profession saying, you know, if I get low test scores, eh, whatever, like it's, it is what it is. We all want to do and be our best. And I think that, I mean, if we're, if we don't, then. Why do you think though, like going back, I'm thinking of a, a specific time and this is where personalities come into it. If you look at like, we live in Vegas. So if you look at the golden Knights, I'm sure all of those guys don't like each other. You know, I'm sure it's not Kumbaya. Somebody's got to not like somebody. But going back to a specific time, you know, personalities play into it. But why can't we, as a group of teachers, believe that success for one is success for all of us? I feel like there's just a competitiveness there. And it's because personalities jump in there. But why can't we have that team mentality? I only I, I was thinking as Sarah was speaking and as you were, Robert, that it's a reflection of you. Yes. It's a reflection it's of so you. And so and so if you're saying, oh, one, you know, can't one success is a success for all. Well, if you're the teacher that has worked, that has the class that, for instance, in kindergarten, everybody, well, I'm not going to say everybody because we know 100% of the time is not really going to happen. But let's say that out of 20 kids, 18 of my kids have mastered all 50 sight words. Let's just say that. But then the next teacher has 20 kids and only five have mastered all of the sight words. So that's a reflection on me as a, as it is a reflection on that teacher. And so if you're that yeah. teacher that you're not getting those results now, it could be results of you have all the students that were retained. Who knows what the, what the logistics are, but then that becomes a reflection of you and, and it becomes an imprint on you. And so you're mm-hmm. either going to be that teacher that says, I'm going to do better, or you already feel defeated. And you already mm-hmm. feel like you're the you're the weakest link. And yeah, I feel like when you are literally pouring everything that you have and then you don't like you don't see the benefits of that, it becomes personal. And then I think it kind of taints your relationships with your coworkers because maybe they feel better than you or I I mean, I don't know. I just think that it's part of this culture. How much of human nature plays into it, though? You know, I mean, or or just like you said, yeah. Sarah, you know, maybe it's youth or inexperience or your personality where you judge people, you judge their personalities. And so one thing that always bothered me, just being us being honest on this podcast, is when you won Teacher of the Game, not very many people told you congratulations. That really bugged me because here I am trying to create this environment where success for one is success for all of us. You know, if all of Abby's kids are proficient and all of Sarah's kids are proficient, then that helps second, third, fourth, fifth. And I don't know if it's just a personality thing or judgmentalness, but why can't we as educators kind of get past that and celebrate the successes of all? I think it's I think it's depending on on the situation, okay? Because I think a lot of dynamics play into it. I think a lot of 
how vocal you allow your staff to be, you know, if you allow them to freely give their opinions or if you kind of, if you have an open door policy, what kind of climate you're cultivating as the admin. And so one thing that this doesn't really go along with exactly what you asked, but I was thinking about if you're a secretary and at a job, you're, you're not testing patients and getting their scores and the scores are relevant to your work. And so in our profession in teaching, it's so driven Mm -hmm. by data and so driven by what you have. And again, it's a reflection of you. And so if somebody is getting an award and you feel like, man, I've been working just as hard. I've been working my butt off and where's my trophy? (laughs) And not that everybody has to have a trophy, but I just feel like that's where it can brew some of the animosity. My friends from Kentucky, who's a kindergarten teacher, she's an all or nothing kind of teacher. And at her school, they all have to do the same thing. So she says when she wants to do an amazing lesson, she has to duplicate it six times for six teachers. And then there's the teachers that are like, hmm, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Here she did the work for them, you know? So you're always going to have the people who are willing to go above and beyond. And then you're going to have always the people that are like, oh, well, it was a terrible day. I I just, (laughs) that teacher of the game just like kind of got me a little because I think I got one email (laughs) congratulating me where like the whole school knew because we had an assembly. But I really, maybe to give some people a little bit more grace than they deserve, I think that ultimately it comes, the competitiveness comes down to having relationships. And I feel at my core, if somebody that I love and respect is doing amazing, I am genuinely happy and and proud of them. But if it's somebody that I don't know very well, that I see every once in a while, I'm not going to have that reaction mm-hmm. necessarily. That's going to be something that I probably have to like talk myself into and like be like and make myself kind of be happy for them. But I think that if you had, which is impossible, yeah. like we just talked about that, you yeah. can't have everyone love and necessarily respect each other because there's so many different personalities. Yeah. Can't. Yeah. One thing I have learned this year opening a new school is that. It's my firm belief. And again, we have we have great people at our school. We hired pe- great people. The teaching we wanted great people who are good teachers, not great teachers who are bad people. Because the mm-hmm. the relationships matter so much and you have to have that respect to be okay and be happy yeah. for a person that you care about. So I understand what you're saying. I want to shift gears. Whenever we do interviews, you always ask people what's something <laughs> innovative that you have done. And very, very rarely can they come up with something. In your opinion, why is innovation so important? I I don't know. I guess just stepping outside of your comfort zone and trying something that you've never tried before and just making something big and amazing for your kids. I just feel like everyone should do that. I think maybe it's our the way that we phrase it that people don't understand. But when I say what's something that you've done that's innovative, like I want to know a lesson that you created from scratch, or I want to know how you took something or a standard and how you made that amazing for your kids. Or, I mean, it could be, it could be anything, but just something that's outside the box and something that 
came from like your brain, not from somewhere else. Why, why is that important to you that they have that ability? Because I want our teachers to be thinkers and I want our teachers to be, I want them to like have that craft that I feel like us as teachers should have. Like when I went to college and I was making lessons from scratch like those big, elaborate, fun lessons that probably make no sense now. I just, I want to know that people can do that and that they can look at a standard and say, oh, there's something really fun I can do here with that. Instead of like, what are you going to, like, what lesson are you going to give me today for me to read to the class? You know? Okay. Abby, what about you? What do you think about innovation? I think that trying new things, again, my scale would be as something as, something as simple as trying something new, dressing up in a costume, trying something different that it doesn't have to be this huge elaborate lesson, but could be letting your kids write on their desk with dry erase markers. It could be using colored paper for something. It can be the little things, yeah. but the little things turn into big things. And innovation to me, it very much aligns with what Sarah says is kind of stepping out of the box. And we talked in a previous podcast about how you had asked the teachers to, to, to do a rock your school day. And there were people that were grumbling. There were people that were upset. There were people that were like, eh, this is not for me. But when they actually did it, they were like, wow, yeah. this was a lot more fun than I thought it was. Now, did they have to go and be as elaborate the next time? No, but it kind of opened that door or, or so to speak, Pandora's box of like, okay, this this is a little mm -hmm. bit more easier than I thought it was going to be. And my kids were, you know, so excited. And I think I want to try this again. So to me, innovation is kind of stepping outside of that, of that little box, that little comfort zone and trying something new, regardless mm -hmm. of how small or elaborate somebody else could think it is. So, so now taking that one thing that you both do really well, moving into social media is you kind of taught me over the past few years of the power of social media in terms of innovation. One area where we talked about where I got in trouble, I'm like, go watch so-and-so on Instagram. They have a great idea. And that just created animosity, which we talked about in the past. But so like Sarah, you guys can both answer this. You know, what, what has social media done for you? I mean, like Sarah, of course, I've watched your journey going to RCA and meeting Hope and Wade and moving up through the ranks of you know, all of that. And now you are really high up in all of the get your teach on. Um, so social media has really helped you on that aspect. But then Abby, of course, the other side, but can you guys talk about how social media has kind of changed your uh, careers? Well, I feel like I need to preface the whole social media thing with like, if it's not bringing you joy, and if it's making you feel bad inside, then it's not working. And I feel like that's been something that I've struggled with a lot. And there's been a lot of people that I've had to unfollow on social media because I just feel less than when I see their content. And I, but I do think the flip side, the positive side of social media is just having a community of teachers where you can not only like connect with and like share in whatever you're doing in your classroom, but get ideas and lessons and all that fun stuff from like, there's been so many teachers that I've 
seen something that they do. And then I'm able to kind of take that and tweak that and make that work for my classroom. Doesn't look exactly the same as what they did, but it's like beautiful for me and what I'm doing. I mean, sometimes I just take it and do it exactly because that happens too. But yeah, I mean, just having a a community has been huge. And Abby, I think Abby has said it before, like, being able, like, we've never been able to be inside so many teachers' classrooms. Like, that is huge. Well, and I, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, I think one thing that makes it, for me, almost um, like a mandatory thing in my mind for me is because my husband doesn't get teaching at all. <laughs> which most, which we might talk about this at a later date, but most spouses of educators don't get it. Now, that's not to say he's not supportive because he's very supportive. And he would always come to my classroom and help me put stuff up. I remember there were days I'm like, can you please bring me a Diet Pepsi? And he would bring me one, you know. So I'm not talking about the support, but he just doesn't get education. Yeah. Uh, he listened to our first podcast and he's like, you guys make no sense. <laughs> you know, so if you're, if you're not married to an educator, it's, it's hard to like have those mm-hmm. conversations outside of your immediate colleagues at your building because nobody understands it. My family, my dad, my mm-hmm. you know sister, my brother, none of them are in education. So they just don't get it. So having a community of people that you can say, hey, feed up Friday and they totally get it. Mm-hmm. Or if you say, I'm exhausted, I'm going to bed at five o'clock tonight and other teachers are like, yep, we hear you. We totally understand where other people are like, that is so dumb. Like you're around five-year-olds all day, can't you? So I think having that support and those people that have that understand and relate to you I think that is one of the great things about social media. I think you were kind of leading more into how has social media changed our career paths. And so for me, it's, I I think I had shared this story before and we're running on late on time. So I'm going to be quick, but I, I had a blog years ago. It was a, it was like a lifestyle blog. So I had been in blogging before I, I was aware of, of blogging and, and, and networking and things like that. And so once I started teaching kindergarten, it just turned into a kindergarten blog and social media, yada, yada, yada. It's opened a lot of doors for me. I've been able to do professional development. I've been able to help a lot of teachers. I've met just amazing people. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's afforded me a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had, had I not put myself out on social media. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. My, I guess the biggest plus with my social media has been, uh, get your teach on and the community that I have there. And like, I really have some of the greatest friends from all around the country that I've been connected with because of that. And I'm like forever grateful for that. So Sarah, what what is the worst part of social media for you? Uh, I guess comparing, get getting stuck in that comparison trap, a hundred percent. And you're always going to have people who have mean things to say. And I try to just like keep everything very light and like happy, but you're always going to get those DMs that kind of bum you out yeah. and make you wish you never, yeah, we've, you never started. We've talked but about I that. Think, 
Yeah. But yeah, there's always the haters and you always Mm -hmm. like a thousand positives times one criticism is equals one criticism. And that's the ones that stick with us. It just, it just really stinks when people criticize you because all you're trying to do is help the people that want help. So I just, I just struggle with that. And I know it bugs both of you. I know it bugs Sarah, I'm sure. Like when someone's like something bad on there and, and I just think social media has so many positives, but there are negatives as well. And that's what bugs you. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, are you ready? Because you get to be the first guest to do rapid fire. Okay. All right. Bye. So I have the questions. Are you ready? <laughs> I guess so. All right. Who inspires you in your life? Who who inspires me in my life? I feel like I have to like really think about these questions. These aren't rapid fire. Okay. This one I actually... <laughs> They're coming so, at you. So, I mean, like my husband, obviously, like he's a given. And my kids, yeah. But Dak Shepard, he has a podcast that <laughs> I know you I love that podcast. Am completely in love with. Like, he has been, I mean, he is like the driving force. I talk about him like he's my best friend. He's the driving force that like took me to therapy. Like, he's like part of every good thing in my life. Like, all the best books that I've read all like so many big aha moments for me. So I would say Zach Shepard. Yes. His podcast armchair expert is my fave. Who or what inspires you in education? I would probably say like everybody involved in get your teach on and get your teach on. Like that's kind of like a shameless plug there, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, just like everybody involved with get your teach on is amazing. They inspire me every day. And just being at the conferences are like inspiration to the max. What turned you off in education? Oh, I think can curriculums, everybody doing the same thing, principles that don't like get education and also districts that don't get education. Enough said. What do- Yes. What do you want your colleagues to do? Uh, Love and support each other. What do you not want them to do? Compete. Why are you laughing? (laughs) It's just not what I expect you to say. And I know you very well, but I mean, it's just, again, I think it just shows your maturation over time. So it's, it's not. Yeah. I, Whatever that means. And it shows her Enneagram uh, six. <laughs> I think I I'm a two. Sarah made me take it one night at like nine o'clock. And I think I'm a two, three or a three, two. But I have no idea what that I'm means. I'm convinced that every person needs to take the Enneagram, learn about the Enneagram. And I feel like the world would be a better place. Another plug for Enneagram. Yep. <laughs> what do you want most from your administration? To support. And let us do our thing, but also have our back. I think that in this time, I am so incredibly grateful with all the ups and downs in education that I have administration that I know, like, no matter what news is coming out, no matter what is coming up next week, you guys have our backs. And like, that means everything. We try. It's hard to uh, keep all the stuff away from you, but we do try. It's uh, it's a challenge. 
What's one lesson or piece of advice you receive that you can share? Um, go to therapy. <laughs> I, I, I just, I feel like if anybody's just even thinking about it, just go, just go to psychology today, find somebody, but also just step outside your comfort zone. That was something that, I mean, so many people have said to me because I'm so shy and all the best things happen when I step outside my comfort zone. So growth happens outside the comfort zone. And if that means going to therapy, then there you go. It does. Good for you. What is your favorite memory or accomplishment during your career? Well, definitely one of my favorite memories was getting the teacher of the game award. That was a year where I had looped with my kindergartners. And so they were with me. I had such a tight bond with them. And like we had a whole assembly and everybody's cheering and I've got this giant check for $500. And just one of my students, Brianna, she looked up at me and she said, Mr. Louie, I'm so proud of you. And like, Mm. that was a moment, like to this day, kind of, it brings me to tears. Like that was the highlight for sure. Last one. If you could change education in one way, what would it be? Oh gosh, this is the last one. We have another hour, you guys. I just one. You can only pick one way. I well, what's one thing? I mean, what's one thing like that you just hate that you would just get rid of? I mean, like everything outside of teaching. Like, just if I if I could go in the classroom every day and just teach my kids, this profession would be a dream. But all the paperwork. And dealing with district mandated stuff and the meat, like all the other things that teachers get piled on top on their plates, like on top of actual instruction is the part that I can't stand. Also, I think that this profession would be a lot better if teachers had more time to plan. I'll just say that too. Great. I just want to say publicly that (laughs) I have one of the highlights of my career has been watching both of you grow to where you are at and it has been a pleasure and though you've taken separate paths and many times you've bumped into each other along the way to see where you're at now is very rewarding for me just as a person and as a friend of both of yours so there was no doubt who I wanted to be the first guest on this podcast and there's no doubt who I wanted to do the podcast with and I I appreciate you both and I just want to say thank you publicly for letting me be a part of your journey Oh, that's so sweet. You've been so sappy lately, <laughs> he's, Robert. He's getting older, Sarah. <laughs> that's what happens <laughs> as you get older. And he's older than both of us, so we can say that. <laughs> I am, I am. Well, Robert, too, I, I'm very thankful for you and the journey that, I mean, I'm sure Abby can can relate, but what you let us do as teachers and Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. I have, I have thoroughly enjoyed today. Uh, I know it's been a long one, but um, it was important because Sarah can hit on so many of the topics that we've covered and give her perspective on it. So it was important to have her on here, but no matter where you stand on the issues or what you think, Sarah, do you know what to say? It's all about perspective. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Thanks for joining us.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We would love to hear your perspective on this episode. Head over to our Instagram page, It's All About Perspective 2021, or our Facebook and Twitter page and share your opinion. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And one last thing. Remember, it's all about perspective. Perspective.